It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, January 24th, 2022. I'm Kelly Reese and this is the KVMR Evening News. Up ahead on the California Report, state regulators have gone back to the drawing board after a proposal to California's solar marketplace caused waves of indignation within the solar industry. Then, the NFL may be the U.S.'s most popular sport, but it's plagued by a laundry list of issues. In today's National Native News, we hear from members of the Kansas City Native American community about efforts to change the city's NFL team name. We then turn to regional headlines and weather before Sierra Gold Parks Foundation board member Sid Brown takes us for our bi-weekly walk in the park. This is The California Report. I'm April Domboski in San Francisco. Gusty winds fueled a large wildfire that erupted along the coast of Big Sur Friday night. Calmer weather on Sunday helped firefighters battling the blaze. It's now 35 percent contained. But hundreds of people remain evacuated, and a large portion of Highway 1 is still closed. Kirk Gaffel is president of the Big Sur Chamber of Commerce. He tells KAZU in Monterey County a wildfire of this size is rare for his community. There's a lot of old dry fuel, though, of course, we're fortunate that we had a lot of rain in October through December. But nonetheless, it just shows how quickly it can take off. The same day the fire started in Big Sur, Vice President Kamala Harris announced $600 million in federal funding to help California recover from this historic wildfire season. The money is part of a $1.3 billion commitment from the Biden administration to help clean up hazardous materials and restore forests and infrastructure. Vice President Harris made the announcement on a visit to Southern California. She took an aerial tour of the San Bernardino National Forest to see the scars of the 2020 El Dorado fire. She says the climate crisis is making these disasters more common, but there are tools to help. We must also be able to use technology and common sense and the expertise of those on the ground to understand we have the tools to predict these wildfires ahead of time. And once we are able to then do that, does it not compel us to say, what are we doing to prevent the knowable or the predictable? The funding comes after the U.S. Forest Service announced a 10-year plan to quadruple fuel reduction efforts in the western United States. California regulators are taking more time to consider changing the state's solar marketplace after a proposal released in mid-December roiled the solar industry. KPBS reporter Eric Anderson in San Diego says the delay likely means changes are in the works. The California Public Utilities Commission delivered grim news for the state's solar installers last month. It's, it's so bad. Bernadette Del Chiaro is the executive director of the California Solar and Storage Association. We think the proposed decision, the bones of it, are so rotten uh, that it will not hold. The public agency recommended slashing how much homeowners are paid for electricity generated by their rooftop solar panels, and it proposed a steep increase in grid access charges for a typical solar customer, about $60 a month. The plan essentially negates the financial incentives for homeowners to pay thousands of dollars to add solar panels to their roofs. Solar industry advocates say the changes could dry up demand for the green energy option and throw thousands of solar installers out of work. And that got solar workers to a rally in Los Angeles last week. 
The message was aimed at the CPUC's satellite office in L.A. The solar workers, like Revamp Energy's owner, Jay Cutting, says his brown and black workers need the support of commissioners. And we would hate to see all the hard work and, and pro- progress we've made been killed by this, by this bill and this solar tax. So we came to show our support and say, save our jobs. But the commission isn't the only target. Solar industry backers have worked hard to get the attention of Governor Gavin Newsom. And hints that their campaign is working came when Newsom answered questions about the proposal during the unveiling of his proposed budget earlier this month. That draft plan that was recently released, I just had a chance to review, and I'll say this about the plan, we still have some work to do. When asked again later during the event, Newsom was vague, but did suggest the proposal would not survive in its current form. Do I think uh, that changes need to be made? Yes, I do. A recent development suggests change might be coming. The CPUC failed to put the item on its January 27th agenda after planning a vote for more than a year. It is unclear if the issue is just being pushed back a couple of weeks or longer. There's no question the commission needs more time on this. Solar industry backer Bernadette Del Chiara is not ready to call the delay a victory, especially with the commission in flux. The CPUC president has only been in office since the beginning of the year, and another of the panel's five seats remain unfilled. It is unprecedented, the shakeup of the the leadership of this commission, right at the five-yard line of one of the biggest decisions they will have made this decade. So there's no question they need more time. And I think the governor recognized that and referenced that as well. California's investor-owned utilities, Pacific Gas and Electric, Southern California Edison, and San Diego Gas and Electric, have largely remained quiet on the issue. But utility-backed groups are vocal on social media running ads calling for reform. A flaw in state law is forcing Californians who can't afford rooftop solar to subsidize wealthier homeowners who can. Seniors and families struggle. And they have surrogates making their case. Kathy Fairbanks runs the utility-funded group Affordable Energy for All. It's unfair. And, you know, we understand why the solar industry is objecting to these reforms. It means cuts to their profits. It means cuts to executive salaries and bonuses. It means cuts in their shareholders. Meanwhile, solar industry backers say it is utilities that are motivated by greed. Regulators will make the final decision. They've changed the solar market once before, making only minor tweaks after a more sweeping utility-friendly proposal was rejected. It remains unclear if that will happen again. For the California Report, I'm Eric Anderson in San Diego. Next Sunday's football playoffs will be a battle of Northern and Southern California. The San Francisco 49ers will take on the Los Angeles Rams in the NFC Championship game in L.A. The winner advances to the Super Bowl on February 13th. Both teams won in dramatic fashion over the weekend with field goals in the last seconds of the game. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org/health-equity. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at schmidtfutures.com. And hint. 
grapefruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And that's the California Report for Monday, January 24th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm April Domboski. Thanks for listening. You may have caught yesterday's nail-biting NFL playoff game between the Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs. However, stationed outside Kansas City's Arrowhead Stadium was the group Not In Our Honor, a coalition of Native American community members in the greater Kansas City area. The group calls for a name change and an end to stereotypical imagery used by the NFL team. Up ahead in National Native News, we hear from Gaylene Krauser, director of the Kansas City Indian Center, about efforts to affect change in the Goliath Professional Sports League. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Hopi tribe in northern Arizona has returned to heightened public health restrictions on the reservation amid a surge in COVID-19 cases. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, as in nearly all parts of the U.S., it's being driven by the highly transmittable Omicron variant. The order comes amid a dramatic uptick in COVID infections on the Hopi reservation. According to the tribe, there were nearly 300 confirmed active positive Positive cases recently. During last year's winter spike, by comparison, the tribe was averaging between 5 and 25 new known infections per week. Hopi Chairman Timothy Nuvangyama and Vice Chairman Craig Andrews signed the order that returns the tribe to its earlier Phase 2 restrictions. Hopi leaders lifted the mandates last spring as active cases declined to near zero. The new current order requires masks to be worn in all public facilities and buildings, common areas, and outdoor locations. It also discouraged tourism and visitation and directs tribal police officers and health professionals to perform welfare checks on some tribal members. In addition, the order recommends that Hopi businesses restrict capacity to half and implement screening for staff along with cleaning and disinfecting protocols. It'll remain in place until March 13th. More than 90 percent of eligible Hopi tribal members have been fully vaccinated against COVID. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heitches in Flagstaff. Native American community members in the greater Kansas City area are continuing to call on the Kansas City football team to change their name and end the use of Indian stereotypes. Members of the group, not in our honor, demonstrated at the team's home playoff game on Sunday. Gaylene Krauser is director of the Kansas City Indian Center. Our purpose out here is to continue to to raise awareness about um, the stereotypical use of our imagery uh, and the blatant racism that still occurs you know all these years after the civil rights the fight for civil rights and so indigenous people are still way at the bottom of that list being recognized for who we are as, as human beings. Members of the group and their allies hosted demonstrations outside the team stadium at all home games during the NFL 2021 season. They also have four Change the Name billboards up in the city. The team is woven into everything in Kansas City. All this messaging out there that it's okay with us as Indian people, and it's not. And we, if nobody else stands up and says, hey, this isn't cool, then their message just stands unanswered. And so we have to, as Indian organizations here in Kansas City, we have to be the ones that stand out here in the cold and say, hey, that is not the truth. 
they do have a couple of people that have said it's okay and on their working group, but the majority of us don't agree with it. The group has long called for the Kansas City football team to end the use of native imagery, including in the Arrowhead logo, end the use of native terms, and seek the NFL's zero tolerance for on-field use of racial slurs to be applied. Fans are banned from wearing warlike paint or headdresses into the stadium. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is holding a tribal leader consultation and listening session Thursday on creating a plan to create a more competitive, fairer market for meat, poultry, and seafood processing. The USDA is seeking input from tribes as there are new funding opportunities being made available. The White House announced a nationwide plan earlier this month to boost competition and reduce prices in the meat processing industry. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. There are now booster recommendations for all three available COVID-19 vaccines in the United States, and you may choose which booster shot you receive. More info at aaip.org or cdc.gov slash coronavirus who support this show. Support by Navajo Language Renaissance, presenting Rosetta Stone Navajo for Apple and Android devices with two learning levels, a self-correcting pronunciation feature, and a new Level 1 workbook designed to make learning Navajo easier. Info at NavajoRenaissance.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. Nevada County Public Health reports 707 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. These numbers account for Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Out of 13,414 cases since the start of the pandemic, 2,748 are active. 30 people are hospitalized. The Grass Valley City Council will vote on the proposed Grass Valley RV Park Resort and Annexation Project at tomorrow's 7 p.m. meeting. The project entails an 147-space RV park with 15 glamping spaces for short-term camping and the annexation of roughly 45 acres into the city. Members of the public are encouraged to submit comments via voicemail at 530-274-4390 or email at public at cityofgrassvalley.com before 5 p.m. tomorrow. The meeting will be broadcast live on Comcast Channel 17 by Nevada County Media on the City of Grass Valley webpage at cityofgrassvalley.com and on the City of Grass Valley YouTube channel. Two Nevada County incumbents have announced their bids at maintaining their positions in upcoming elections. Sue Hoke, District 4 Supervisor and Chair of the Nevada County Board of Supervisors, says she will run for re-election in the June 7, 2022 primary election. Hoke was first elected in 2018. Likewise, Tina Vernon hopes to secure her fourth term as Nevada County Treasurer Tax Collector. Vernon has served as Nevada County Treasurer Tax Collector since 2010. And continuing with the theme of newly announced candidacies, after a decade as Sacramento Sheriff, Scott Jones announced today he will run for California's new 3rd Congressional District. The newly drawn 3rd District includes all of Placer County as well as parts of Sacramento, Nevada, El Dorado, Plumas, Sierra, and Yuba County. 
Quote, I will fight for law and order in America, stand up against the defund the police movement, and secure our border. It's time to put the safety of America and Americans first again, Jones said in a tweet. District 3 is currently represented by Democratic Representative John Garamendi, but because of redistricting, Garamendi will run in the newly drawn District 8, which now includes the Solano-North Contra Costa region. Jones was one of several California sheriffs to refuse to enforce county and statewide COVID-19 directives. In the spring primary election, Jones will face Democrat Dr. Kermit Jones, a doctor and veteran from Roseville, and Republican Assemblymember Kevin Kiley of Rockland. This from the Sacramento Bee. The Nevada County Community Library has unveiled this year's Nevada County Reads Book Choice. They announced today that the novel Circe by Madeline Miller was selected. The program, which starts February 1st, encourages the county to come together to read and discuss a shared book. This year's Nevada County Reads will feature multiple virtual events and book discussions at all library branches, culminating in a visit by best-selling author Madeline Miller on March 25th at the Miner's Foundry in Nevada City. Now let's take a look at our regional weather. According to the National Weather Service, it looks like dry and mild conditions continue this week. We may see patches of dense late night and morning fog in the Central Valley. Next week brings with it a chance of precipitation, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 36. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 65. Hold on to those hats. Tomorrow brings winds from 9 to 14 miles per hour with gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 21. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 40 and calm wind. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, patchy fog after 1 a.m., otherwise increasing clouds with a low around 37. Tomorrow, that patchy fog turns to patchy frost before 8 a.m., otherwise partly sunny with a high near 64 and winds up to 10 miles per hour. Coming up, Sid Brown from the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation is here to take us on our bi-weekly A Walk in the Park. Stay tuned for the latest on Western Nevada County's three state parks. The parks, like everyone else in Nevada County, have experienced some damage and some ongoing issues with regard to the, um, let's see, two days after Christmas storm that we had and ongoing. Um, I will tell you, I'm pleased to say that the landline at Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park is now functional and back in operation. So if you want to find out what's going on at the park or what the conditions are, if it's staffed, someone will answer now at 530-265-2740. We're getting that January tease of beautiful, clear, sunny weather, so there's no reason to get not to get out and enjoy the trails. You know, these parks are open and accessible year-round. While you may not be able to enter the buildings or the museums or even the stores, if we don't have staff covering them, the trails are there. Nature is there waiting for you. So I really encourage people to enjoy these parks year-round, which I certainly have been doing in preparation for talking to you. This week, I walked the Independence Trail East segment three times, and that's the segment just upstream or up 
up Highway 49 from the parking at the um, bridges, there's a big turnout and a, and a set of stairs, rustic stairs that go up onto Independence Trail East that goes all the way to Augustine Road. And then you can walk down Augustine Road, which is, I believe, still a county road, but not maintained, not drivable, great big gullies and erosion in that road. But it is an area where you can access the river if you are careful. And it's basically across from Hoyt's Crossing. The uh, Independence Trail East has a number of flumes, wooden structures that cross canyons, keep the trail bed fairly flat and level. Um, It has experienced some damage and some decay over the years, and park staff as well as Bear Yuba Land Trust Trail volunteers are working to keep those these trails and these flume structures open while the Independence West segment is still closed due to the Jones fire. So I got to see late in the afternoon, early in the morning, the Independence Trail East has some gorgeous views of the river, got uh, a madrone tree that is full in berry and every time I walk by I notice these red berries on the trail and I stop and and the birds are just going crazy for those madrone berries so that's kind of fun to watch out for something new uh, a new mushroom uh, a new tree that's bearing fruit for the the wildlife as well as the scat from the wildlife that also use the trail I encourage you to to wear appropriate shoes. I always wear walk with a hiking stick or a, a trekking pole because the trail, even when it's flat, can be very slippery. And so don't want to have any slip and fall on the, the wet leaves or the wet wood. And there you would see that there is a couple of places where trees have come down and park staff and crews, maintenance crews have cleared off where the um, trees have gone across the trail. For the most part, there's one spot where a big tree is across the rail of the bridge, but there's no problem in gaining passage. So that's Independence Trail East at South Yuba River State Park. At Empire Mine, Trails are all open. It's daily from sunrise to sunset. And the inner core, the historic area, is open every day from 10 until 4. The blacksmiths are typically working in the blacksmith's shop, and we have uh, docents and volunteers leading small group tours on most weekend days. Um, You can call in advance to find out what tours are being held at Empire Mine, and that phone number is 530-273. 8522. Malakoff, um, last time I spoke, they, we had a good amount of snow up at Malakoff, and I'll tell you, the snow has now melted, and the trails are open, although they are muddy. And here's a suggestion and a request and a plea that when you are using these trails, even though there is mud, just make sure you have the right shoes and, you know, walk through the mud. If you bypass a muddy segment, the trails widen and they just become wider and wider and it does damage to the ecosystem, to the drainage, to everything else. So, you know, be aware that, you know, you're going to be hiking in the wintertime. There is going to be some mud and that's why I always suggest bringing a plastic bag and an extra pair of shoes when your hike is done. 
As we go into the spring, we hope to be providing more guided tours and having a few events that we will be very happy to welcome you to. Please remember these state parks and these state facilities are yours to enjoy. They're our common heritage and let's all work together to to keep them clean, to keep them safe and to keep them in good, healthy condition. That's our newscast for this Monday, January 24th. You can listen to an extended version of A Walk in the Park on our webpage, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation and joins us every other week with news and updates from Nevada County's three state parks. Learn more at sierragoldparksfoundation.org. KVMR gets support from Weiss Landscaping, with over 75 years of generational experience in landscape architecture, design, and installation. Weiss Landscaping crews are educated, experienced, and provide accountability with warranties on craftsmanship, installations, and irrigation projects. Go Weisslandscaping.com. And Four Paws Animal Clinic. Doctors Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City. FourPawsAC.com Stick around. Coming up at 6.30, we have the Women's International News Gathering Service, WINGS. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening to the news this evening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. 